Awesome. Well, this past week at boot camp, we had speaker upon speaker each day. There was different speakers investing into the to, to the students, and um, one of the guys, his name is Todd Lucas, and he's actually our guest speaker today. And I wanted to have him come and speak. And there's just so much um, cool overlaps between the way that we think. You ever meet somebody where, like, the first time you meet him, you're like dude, like I get you. I feel like you get me. We're good. Like you ever have that happen? If you haven't had it happen, you need to have it happen. Like pray about it. So, um, I just love this guy's heart, his family. And so they're going to come up real quick. The first time that we met was because he called me out the blue and was like, Hey man, I heard you have a portable baptistry. Can we, can we borrow that bathtub on wheels and let's go. And, um, yeah, and so it's just been awesome to connect with him and his family. So I just wanted him to share a little bit, and then he's going to bring the word, all right? So um, here we go. All right. Yeah, that's you. Okay. Yeah, that's sweet. All right. Good morning, Second Place Church. It's so good to be here with you guys this morning. We are the Lucases, as Pastor Joe mentioned. I'm Chandra. This is my husband, Todd. And this is our son, Ethan. Uh, we are missionaries to college campuses in Chicago, uh, with a ministry called Chi Alpha. You may have heard of Chi Alpha. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and our ministry is called Chicago Chi Alpha. That's what the XA stands for, as you see it up there. And we are on uh, primarily the five campuses that are up on the screen right there. UIC, Columbia College, Downtown, Northwestern University, St. Xavier University, and Loyola University. And um, we are there to bring the name of Jesus and see students come to know Christ and 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 really just change their lives and change their campuses. And we want to see revival all across the city um, sparked from these campuses. And we're there to build communities. Actually, our mission is to build a citywide community of authentic student disciple makers. And so that's our heart. It's what God has called us to do. And we do it in many, many different ways. It looks different on every campus. Um, but we're doing it, and it's our, our passion. So we just thank you guys for just your prayers and your support. And, and we're really um, just excited about what God is doing. We're gearing up for a new school year um, here in a few weeks. And Todd will share maybe a little bit more specifically about what, what it is we do. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, you pretty much nailed it. And <laughs> one of the, um, the main ways that we reach the college students is part of our mission statement is making student disciple makers. In other words, we don't want students just to meet Christ. We want our students to actually uh, bear fruit and start to reach their fellow classmates. And that's our heart as missionaries, to really raise up um, student missionaries in essence. And we do that through small group outreaches on campus, Bible studies, prayer meetings. We have over 20 prayer meetings every week uh, across the five campuses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because that, that's one of our, our core values is spirit empowerment. And that comes through spending time with Jesus. And so um, God has really given us um, some open doors on these different campuses. And we've also, we also have a large group worship gathering that takes place every Friday at UIC. And it's, it has students from all across the city joining us at that gathering. And it's one of our most dynamic meetings of the, um, of the week. And so... God is doing a great work. And why? Why are we reaching out to the colleges? Because tomorrow's leaders are on campuses today. Um, those who are going to be the lawyers and the doctors and the presidents, they are on our college campuses today. Not just tomorrow's leaders, but world leaders. People coming from all over the globe come to the United States to study on our campuses. At any given point, we have about a million 
um, international students on our different campuses throughout the states. And it's just amazing because many of them come from nations where it's actually illegal to preach the gospel. And so we've actually seen students from other nations come to Jesus from, from France to the Netherlands to um, the Middle East, Nigeria, really is such a strategic mission field. We can't overstate it. And finally, I'm sure a number of your parents would appreciate this. Um, when it comes to protecting our youth, when it comes to those, like we had the 53 um, students from junior high and high school go and do boot camp this week, um, those who are leaving our youth groups, they're going to the college campuses. Now I'll give them to you because this is nap time and it's at any moment he can like start to lose it. So he's been doing great right now. Thank you, Lord. Um, and so, um, but what, what is happening, the last statistic that I've seen, about 80% of those that leave are youth groups and go to college. By the time they finish college, get this, about 80% of them would have walked away from their faith. What a sobering and discouraging statistic. We believe God wants to change that. God wants to change. And that's why we're there, to give students that next step in their mission, give them their encouragement and their marching orders to help reach out on the campuses. And so um, Chicago, when it comes to being a mission field, we already know that it's a massive mission field. We here right now, we're part of that mission field when you talk about the greater Chicago area. Well, many don't know this, but Chicago is the third largest, not just metropolis in the states, but also the third largest, in fact, some stats say the second largest college town in all of North America. Over 500,000 college students are here. It's amazing. In other words, if you just go by some, some basic statistics, about one in every five or one in every four people in Chicago is a college student. We have over 50 colleges and universities in the Chicago area. And so we're just touching a little, this is like a drop in the bucket, five campuses. And so keep us in prayer um, that we can build a citywide community of authentic student disciple makers. We have a video we want to show you, which we think will really capture what we do in our heart better than what we could tell you. So if you could turn your attention to the screen and check out this video.
So like I said before, you know, we had a love your neighbor focus last weekend with our family weekend and this weekend as well into the next few as well. So it just made sense. Um, some of what Todd um, and I have talked about, but also the fact that I don't know if you know this, but if you don't like college students, you're not going to like second place. Okay. Because I just got to throw it. Can I throw it out there? Because, um, well, I won't steal the thunder, but God has done something in this community here at Second Place that has allowed us to reach them and to minister to them and invest in that. And so um, it just makes sense, you know, with what um, his heart is and with what we are, just so much kindred spirit between us that it made sense, man. I just want you to share with a guy who reaches the secular college campuses of Chicago to speak to a community who are, are reaching college students as well. Um, in a different context, in a different place. And so um, he's going to come and he's going to give the word. And we're going to, um, I'm going to ask you, like I said, we're going to pass a bucket after um, words. I want you to be praying about, you know, how you know, you personally can support um, what's going on downtown. So um, here we go. Let's do it. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Joe. Awesome. Well, God is on the move. Amen. God is doing some great things. And that video was just a recap from this past year. And we minister, I, I shared some bleak statistics and to share the opportunity as well about why we reached the college campus and we know it's a, a dark place it's very brutal for a young christian's faith but we don't minister because of what is we minister because of what if what if god were to show up what if when we preach the gospel that young man that young woman comes to jesus and not just us as campus missionaries but each of you and your different context um god has called you to minister and do outreach and God wants us to plow and work in hope. Hope just says that tomorrow is going to be better than today. That God is perhaps going to move on our behalf and so um, that's why we do what God has called us to do. So please pray for us. We have some prayer cards out at the table in the lobby. So on your way out please feel free to snatch one of those, put it on your fridge and pray for us that God will continue to, to go before us as we do outreach. Amen. I want to share a, uh, a quick message with you. It's called The Doorkeeper. One of, uh, Pastor Joe asked me to share my heart, and I just wanted to speak a, a, a word to encourage us at Second Place, The Doorkeeper. And in a moment, that title, Lord willing, is going to make some sense. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. And you can look at the screen, and then we'll read it, and then we'll pray. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, verse 5, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If you'll bow your heads with me, I just want to pray for us this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you. Dear God of heaven, may you speak this morning to your people. We thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our hearts to receive your word and open my lips, God, to share your word. God, even now, begin to prepare the, the soil and the hearts of your people to, to hear what it is that you want to speak 
regardless of what I have to say. Will you do me a favor and, and just talk with God in your own way right now and say, Lord, speak to me. Open my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we are here for you. We are here to hear from you, Lord. So we pray that your word will have free course in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is the passage we just read, the doorkeeper. And this is kind of like um, the passage itself is a life passage for Chicago Chi Alpha. It's something that God had put on our heart as a ministry years ago in terms of him um, giving us this great opportunity to impact the next generation on these college campuses. But this morning and this message is not about necessarily being a campus missionary. It's not about anything in a specific context. It's for us as individuals. And God is the doorkeeper and God is at work in each of our lives right now. And that's why it's important that God will give us ears to hear what he wants to speak. This message is about God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. And when we hear that, I'm not sure, sometimes um, we skip over that word and we don't understand what the, the weight of that word is that God is sovereign. The word sovereign means that God is in control. That God is in ultimate control. Come on, we used to sing it back in, the, back in the day. He's got the whole wide world. Where? In his hands. And what we're singing about right there is that God is sovereign. That God is in control. He's in control of us being here this morning. He's in control of your context of life right now. He's in control of your marital status. He's in control of your occupation, your employment. He's in control of where you live, your neighborhood. He's in control and he is sovereign over your family or whatever predicament you find yourself in. God is in control, but he's not just in control of the right now. He's also in control of the future. I want to talk about the future here for a second. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little anxious when I think about the future. Anybody with me on that? Sometimes we get a little anxious, right? Now, let's be honest. How many of you freak out when you think about the future? Come on, tell the truth. Shame the devil. Come on. <laughs> and you know what? That's human nature. That's human nature because it's like, Again, we talked about ministering because of the what if, because we do it by faith. But sometimes we can think about the what if, and the enemy plays on that, like, oh my goodness, what if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? And sometimes the future can be very frightening. And I want to share with you guys what someone once shared with me. We don't need to fear what the future may hold, because we know the one who holds the future. Come on, can we get an amen? Come on. Amen, right? Amen. Yeah, come on. We don't need to fear what the future holds because God holds the future. I want to highlight verses five through seven, and we're going to walk through this message that the Apostle Paul is writing to the people of Corinth. For me, as I walk through this and as I was studying this, I find it very fascinating how Paul is describing to them his train of thought, what he's, what, what he's considering and what he's juggling, and then the decision that ultimately comes about. In verse 5, he says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Now, if we just look at that, that sounds pretty redundant. He says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. It's like, didn't you just tell us that you're coming through? Okay, we, we get that, Paul, right? But what he was essentially saying was, the way his trip was working out, since I'm passing by your way, I'm going to stop by. It was a convenient stop. It was convenient for him 
to drop in. He's just giving them a clue on kind of what his travels, his itinerary was going to be. And I'm going to drop in and say what's up to you guys at Corinth because I'm passing that way anyway. All right. But then we see in verse six, he goes on and he says, perhaps I will stay with you for a while. Now, to me, that's really interesting. Come on. Any of you guys love it when a friend drops in from out of town? I do. They appreciate that. Like, oh, man, I haven't seen you in a while. It's really cool. Or even if it's a friend who's not from out of town, you guys don't get an opportunity to hang out that often. Um, you appreciate when they when they drop by. It's like, oh, man, yeah, let's do, let's do coffee or something, right? And we love those type of um, really cool moments. But then it says, he says, I want to stay with you for a while. Now, what I love about this is that we see and we hear the anticipation growing for Paul to spend time with his friends at Corinth. He goes from saying, I'm going to stop by. And then he says, you know what? I think I might even stay for a while. You can hear the longing. You can feel the excitement, the anticipation to say for Paul to connect with his people at Corinth because he loved the church at Corinth. He absolutely loved. You can read the book of Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, and you will see that come through really, really clear. And then he goes on. He loves him so much that he actually goes on. And I don't know if you caught this, but he says, Perhaps I would stay with you for a while in verse six. And then he says, or even spend the winter. Now, that's some serious love right there. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I appreciate if a friend stopped through. That's awesome. If they say, I actually want to hang out with you for a while. That's cool. I have plans, but I'll move my plans. You know, OK, we'll we'll connect. I'll, I'll shift my schedule because I don't see you that often. But what if a friend drops by, even a family member and say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, we're going to stay for an entire season. Okay, we need to have a conversation, right? Let's have a, come on, extend the stay hotel, my place. Why not? Well, what's funny here is that what we see more than anything is Paul's love. Paul's love for the church. And he says, why? Why was he desiring to drop in? Why was he desiring to hang out for a while or even stay for an entire season? He says so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Now, we're going somewhere here, and I want us to get this because I love Paul's heart. I love his outlook on life. What Paul was, he was a man committed to doing God's will. If you read the Bible once through, or even you read a, a book that the Apostle Paul wrote, it would be clear you, you would see a profile of a man that's committed to doing the will of God. But he's also... We see here he's a man that is surrendered to the sovereignty of God. He's saying, I am on a journey. Look at verse six. He says, so that you can help me on my journey. Our lives are journeys. We're on a journey to do God's will. Wherever you're at in life right now, you are at a certain point along that journey to do the will of God. But at the same time, we must be careful to not forget about the sovereignty of God. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm on a journey. And when I stop by, if it's God's will, when I stop by, you are going to help me along this walk. What am I getting at? Where you at right now in life? Even being here at Second Place Church, where you at in your occupation, where you at in the schools that you're attending, your friendship circles. God has you there for a reason. It is part of your journey in your experience in this season is preparing you for whatever is next. 
Paul was getting at the fact that every moment matters. He's saying church at Corinth, when I get there and we hang out and we connect, that's going, I'm loving you, you're my friends. We're not just going to hang out, but you're going to impart something to me spiritually. You're going to pour something into my life that's going to make me ready to continue to fulfill God's will for my life. I want you to know this morning, Second Place Church, that where you are at right now, you are here for a purpose. You are here and you're a certain context, where whatever you're doing in life, whatever your marital status, you are here for a purpose and God is preparing you for whatever is next. And he says, wherever I go. He wasn't even assuming that after he touched bases with the church at Corinth, that he knew what was next, wherever God sends me. And I love that attitude about the future that Paul had. It was an attitude that God was the one who was ultimately in control. Can we say every moment matters? Amen. We need to grasp that. We really, really need to grasp this. And then we see at the end of this passage in verse 7, I love his attitude towards the future. He says, if the Lord permits. He says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. If you just the basic context clues of this letter, it tells us that Paul was not actually in Corinth when he wrote this. He was writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth represents the future. That's what it represents. Paul is saying, I hope to get there in the future if God permits. He was surrendering the future to Jesus. I think some of us here this morning, we need to surrender our future to Jesus. Corinth represents the future. And when it comes to the future, you see at the beginning of verse 7, Paul says, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I find this really funny when he talks about a passing visit because it reminds me of when you get a phone call from someone or somebody reaches out to you and you want to connect with that person, but you don't want to just have a passing moment with them. You want to have a legitimate, full connection with that individual or with those people. And that's what Paul's heart is right here. But it reminds me of whenever any of you guys ever get a phone call from somebody and you know that you want to talk to that person, but you also understand that if you pick up the phone, that's an hour of your time minimum. You know that, right? I'm serious. Like I, it happens all the time with my mom. I love my mom. I really do. I love, I love talking with her. I love connecting with her. But there are times where she may call and it's not the most convenient time. And I know that if I talk with her, I'm probably doing a million other things. or I'm distracted by this, that or the other. And what do I do? I conveniently send it to voicemail. Come on. Come on. Let's be honest. Come on. You guys are making me feel bad up here. Come on. I got a couple of hands that are raised. All right. <laughs> but we do that not because we don't want to connect with that person. We're saying when I do connect with you, even if it's a day or so later or sometimes weeks later, you're going to have all of me. I'm going to be there 100%. You're going to have my full attention. We don't want to make a passing visit in terms of what may be coming in the future. And that's the heart of Paul right here. Our posture and our attitude towards the future must be like that of the Apostle Paul. And get this, sometimes, sometimes, if we are too preoccupied with where we think we will ultimately be, it will steal our attention from where we are right now. If you're too preoccupied with the future and what you think should happen 
or a will happen, it's going to steal your attention from what God wants to do right now. And Paul understood that. And that's why Paul said, I'm going to stay on at Ephesus. I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning to be what I call perfectly present. I want you to, I want to challenge you. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to challenge us and encourage us to be present. Be present right now in your family predicament, your family setup. Be present in your occupation. Be present in where you're at in school. Be present in your marital status. It is so important that we do not allow the future to cheat us out of what God wants to do right now. Or should I say, don't allow preoccupation with the future to cheat us out of what God wants to do right now. You know, this is classic amongst the context of, of students that we work with, college students. College students, they are notoriously preoccupied with what is next. I mean, I think it starts in, in high school because you may have some high school seniors here right now. You're like, I cannot wait until my senior year is over and I get a chance to go to school. I get a chance to move out of the crib with my family and I get a chance to be on my own. Come on, this is, this is a real, this is a reality of what, and then you get to college, I kid you not, you ask any freshman, they're already thinking, man, when, does, when do I graduate? They begin to count down as soon as they step on campus. And I try to encourage our college students, like, no, be present right now. Because God has placed you here right now. Whatever's going to happen in the next week or the next month or the next year or two, God will take care of that. But God wants to do something right now in your life. C.S. Lewis, in a moment, I'll put up a quote. But I want to share a little bit about his thought process, which I think was so healthy. C.S. Lewis, he said, Satan, who is the adversary of man and the adversary of God, he wants us to be preoccupied with one or, or, or two things, one of two things. Either give us a preoccupation with the past, and when you have a preoccupation with the past, you know what that gives you? Regret. Man, if I had only done this, man, I wish this had not happened to me. Man, I wish that I had made a different decision. Man, if that job had come through, I would have been in this situation. And he keeps you living in the past and that brings about regret. That is not of God. Or Satan wants you to be preoccupied with the future, which brings about dread and fear. Oh, man, what if this happens? Oh, I don't think I'll have enough to do this. I don't think I'll be in a situation to do X, Y, and Z. So he wants to keep you either in the past or the future to keep you out of the present. God is always about the present. God says with your past, give it to me. Place it under my blood. I've died for you. I've died. I've covered that in my blood. Give me your future because I am sovereign. I am in control. But I want you right now to be present. Because God wants us to think about two things in essence. Our present, where we are right now, and eternity. That's it. Where are we at in light of eternity? Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. Ooh, come on, somebody. That's powerful. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. Because right now is all we have. Right now, God is here. Right now, God is at work. And that's why Paul was like, I can't make any promises about the future. I can tell you about what is happening right now. Second place church, you've been placed in your current context. You've been placed here. No need to look back. No need to look ahead. 
Just be present right now. And what was Paul's final decision? He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Corinth, the future, when I get there, I'll get there if God, if God wills. But right now, I am going to stay here at Ephesus. Second place church, let me give you this first thought. Your community is your Ephesus. Be present. Your community is your Ephesus. The action step, be present. And to be present means to understand that God is sovereign over where you are at when it comes to your community. And your community isn't just necessarily geographically where you add and those around you. That's part of it. But your community is wherever God has you right now, your family. Your, your community is your marital status. Your community is your neighborhood. Your community is your Ephesus. I tell college students all the time that their campus is their Ephesus. It's their mission field. It's their mission field. And you may have not walked in here this morning thinking that you would have some preacher stand up here and tell you that you're a missionary, but you are. You're on a mission, and God has a purpose. And that purpose is not something that's going to come about in the future. It's right now. It's right now. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 4, he says, don't say yet four more months and then the harvest is going to come. He says, look up right now. The fields are ripe for a harvest. What he was saying was, don't preoccupy yourself with the future. Right now, God is at work. We need to accept that God is sovereign. We need to accept that God has put us here. When I was in college, I gave my heart to Christ as a freshman at the end of my, at, at the end of my freshman year. And I, I'm from Chicago, inner city. I went to school downstate at Southern Illinois. And I went there to have the college experience, that grand old college experience. Let me tell you, it didn't take long before my college experience ate my lunch. Because I called myself a Christian, but I was not born again. I did not know Jesus from a hole in the wall. And I was living like a pagan. And sin always runs its course. And it brought me to the end of myself. And I thank God that a ministry by the name of Chi Alpha reached out to me. And I gave my heart to Jesus at the end of my freshman year. After getting saved, it became clear to me that my college experience was not supposed to be about alcohol and parties and living an immoral life. It was about something much greater than that. To be a Christian, yes, but also to take ground for the kingdom that God had a mission for me even as a student in undergrad. And that revolutionized my college experience. It really has. And of course, that has a lot to do with why me and my wife are doing what God has called us to do right now. God was saying, your campus is your Ephesus. And right now, wherever you are, it's your Ephesus. God wants you to know that he wants to do something. If we get the weight of being present, we will see life change. I really believe that. You're going to see your life change. You're going to see life change through you. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. You're going to see God use you. And you're going to see doors open. Doors are going to open. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, we see Paul talk about a door. He says, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. What we see here is a visual. He's giving us a visual. He's not talking about a physical door. He's talk, it's, it's a metaphor. 
every door, if you think about it, every door leads to some place for some purpose. When you walk through the doors this morning, you were leaving one place to come into the church service. When you're at home and you leave the bedroom and you go into the kitchen, you're leaving, you're walking through a door, so to speak, right? Into another place for a different purpose. So when Paul is talking about a great door has opened to me, what kind of door is he referring to? Paul was in the town of Ephesus. Ephesus is really, I think, analogous or similar to our context. It was populous. It was popular. It had a bunch of people. It had influential people. And scholars were debating what door is he talking about? Is he talking about a door that's been opened because there's so many people in the town of Ephesus? Like there's so many people around us. There's so many people in the Chicagoland area who can hear the gospel. Perhaps that's what he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about the kind of people when you talk about the influential. But even that is limited. Because even if, you know, we just talked about the, the boot camp, which I thank God for. They went into underserved communities in Woodlawn, for instance. Those aren't necessarily the influential. So if it's only about the influential and that door being open, then that, that really wipes out a large portion of those in any given town or city. So scholars have come to the conclusion, and I agree, that what Paul was talking about was hearts that are open. When you talk about an open door, he said a great door has been opened to me. He's saying people's hearts are open to the gospel that is being preached. And let me back this up with a few cross-references. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When it talks about a door, it says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a what? He opened the door for me. Because he went to preach and he's saying that God opened the door. What? For the gospel to go forth. Let's take a, take a look at another verse. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. And pray for us. Pray for us too, that God may open a, say that word again, a door. For what? Our message. I love it that he's saying we can't separate the preaching of the gospel from prayer. You can't separate it. Why? Because he says that we may proclaim the mystery. It is. It's a mystery. That's why you can talk to people about Jesus until you're blue in the face, but they may never give their heart to Christ at that moment. They, it may not even sink in. Why? Because when we're sharing the gospel, and I want you to know this, because God has opened a door for you. God has not just called you to be where you're at presently. God has opened a door for you to share about Jesus and to preach the good news. Understand that when you're preaching the good news, you're not talking head to head. You're not just giving intellectual facts. We're talking heart to heart. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place. That's why we need to mix prayer with our outreach. And that's what Paul is getting at right here. He's talking about an open door. One more verse, Acts 14, 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened, again, a door of faith to the Gentiles. And what he's getting at right here is that this gospel, it's a door that is open to preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. We have students in our ministry from all over the world. I was meeting up with a young man who actually attends Moody, Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. We met a few days ago. He's from Romania, and he begins to share his story about how he met Jesus. And as he's sharing his story, 
it like, I'm like, you're sharing my story. <laughs> but he's way in Romania from Eastern Europe, but yet a young man from the housing projects and the Cabrini Green housing projects on the north side of the city of Chicago can relate to that. Why? Because the gospel, it transcends culture, it transcends ethnicity, it transcends nationality. The gospel has no borders. Can I get an amen? God has opened a door. Now, Paul didn't just say that a door was open. There's a specific kind of door, a great door. Some translations say a wide open door. And what I think of a door, I think of with every door, there's a threshold, a threshold separating the, the inside or the outside of whatever room that a person might be in. And when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how God had opened a wide open door to the Apostle Paul, I believe what he was getting at was there's two sides to the gospel being shared. There's the one that's preaching it and then there's the one that's receiving it. Make sense? Right, there's two sides. Have you ever preached the gospel and you've been excited to share your testimony, how you met Christ, the truth of the gospel according to scripture? Have you ever been there before? You've been like pumped and you're like, man, you're so stoked. Like, man, they need to hear this. Now, have you been there? And then on the other side, the person that you're talking to, they're like, please get this over with right now. Like they're not they're not as excited about the gospel as you are. Come on. Can we be honest? Right. I've been there before. And it's like you're preaching and your words are like falling to the ground. You're like, let me get those words back and I'll take those home with me. Thank you, Lord. Come on. I've had some of those rescue me conversations like, Lord, please rescue me because I know you placed me here. But right there's, there's preaching in season and out of season. There's been times I'm like, I'm not in season right now, but I know I'm preaching this gospel. Come on. Amen. But the gospel should be preached regardless. But Paul was in season. Paul was saying there was an open, a wide open door. I believe what he meant was. There was a dynamic spiritually, and I think it's happening right now. There was a dynamic where there was a grace to utter the gospel, and there was also on this side of the door a grace to receive the gospel. And that's what God is doing right now if we will only step out. Revelation 3, verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Oh, I love that. According to this passage, who has opened the door for us. Jesus, God, correct? And that's why I want to hit you with this. And then I'm going to invite the band to come up, please. The door has been opened to you, not by you. It's been opened to you, not by you. And you know what's amazing? Not only has God opened the door, but the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? He's gentle. He's not going to force you through the door. He'll give you the opportunity, but we must obey. That's why we must be bold. We have to be bold. I want to share a story about a young lady who got involved in our ministry years ago. <clears throat> her name is Jessica, Jessica Layton. Her name is actually now Jessica Elliott. I got to keep reminding myself because she just got married three weeks ago, and I had the honor of like preaching at her, at her, um, at her wedding. Anyway, Jessica was agnostic. She came from one of the Chicago, so I think it was Itasca, in fact, that she came from. And she went to Loyola University, was a philosophy major, very, very sharp, very smart, had a lot of questions, was really hurt by the church and really hurt just in her upbringing, just a broken young lady, but really desiring to know God. God radically saved Jessica. It was powerful. Through one of our small group meetings, she raised her hand to accept Jesus right there on campus at Loyola University. She got saved. My wife actually 
um, a couple of years later, after my wife and I got married, um, she began to disciple Jessica. And Jessica has had been growing over time. Two summers ago, Jessica, God so changed Jessica's life that her mom came to Jesus. It's just like really a powerful story. Well, Jessica, two summers ago, was in downtown Chicago, just hanging out. Now she's in downtown Chicago. Jessica became perfectly present. There, you know, come on, if you've been to downtown Chicago, there's a lot happening, a lot that can distract you. And she's prayed this prayer. Lord, I want you to lead me to someone that I can share the gospel with. In other words, she was present. And then she says, Lord, what door are you opening? And the Lord led her with these thousands of people in downtown Chicago. There was a young lady standing outside of a, um, of a, college, of a, of a college building in downtown Chicago with a hijab wrapped around her head. Jessica approached her. She said, hi. The young lady said, hi. The next question, the young, without saying anything else, the young lady asked her this, are you a Christian? Jessica said, yes. Are you a Muslim? She said, yes. They exchanged numbers. Over the next couple of months, they became close friends. They began to meet up. Jessica's heart was to share the gospel and tell this young lady about Jesus. This young lady's heart, she's from Saudi Arabia. Her heart was to tell Jessica about Islam. And it was like an evangelism, like face off. It was really interesting. Well, God began to wreck this young lady's life. Her paradigm began to shift. She was raised in her context in Saudi Arabia to believe certain things about Christianity and certain things about Islam that were not true as she began to do her research, primarily through the outreach of Jessica. She began to attend prayer meetings that people from the ministry were hosting. She began to attend Bible studies. And one particular Bible study, there was a man there who happened to be a Muslim apologist. In other words, that was like his niche of ministry was to share the gospel with Muslims. She just, she just coincidentally happened to be there. This man is talking about the peace of God. And when he shared that passage, peace be still, the young, the young lady said she felt something she had never felt before when it came to the peace of God. Although she, she's coming out of the religion of peace. It's amazing. She began to see the gentleness and the love of God. She, be, she commented that she began to see that Christians at these prayer meetings were praying for people of ISIS to get saved. And not, and not just praying that they would be damned to hell. She, she was like, she was blown away by that. She was like, this is not what I was told about Western Christianity. Well, Ramadan comes up. She's in a crisis now. She's like, what is true? But she knew God was tugging at her, at her heart. Ramadan comes up. And during that month, you know that there's fasting for Muslims during that month. During Ramadan, it was summer too. So it was hot. So... The first half of the day, she would be at school, and then when sunset hit, she would have a meal. Well, she was so weak by the time sunset hit, her and Jessica were not connecting as frequently, but they would text back and forth here and there. During Ramadan, she made a decision. I'm going to pray to Jesus. I'm not going to pray to Allah anymore to see how this thing works. God was drawing her. This might just say open door. There was a door. Come on, let's say that. Open doors. Her heart was being opened. A week later, she sends Jessica a text. She says, hi, can I call you sister? And they had a relationship at that point where Jessica was able to say, I can't call you sister because you're not a believer. But you know I love you. She says, actually, you can call me sister because I accepted Jesus last night in my room. Let me tell you, we should praise God for that, people. A life was changed. A heart was open. A lady was saved out of 
dead religion and brought into a relationship with Jesus. Let me show you a picture here of Jessica and Dina. Her name is Dina. This is her praying for Dina. Next slide. This is her getting baptized. Dina got baptized. She's following Jesus right now. Come on, can we praise God? Can we praise God for open doors? And if you, and if you didn't catch it, you can keep that up. You see, you see that, that, does that look familiar when she's getting dunked there? Come on, we tried to cover it up, but. <laughs> Second place had an impact on a soul that was saved and helped us baptize. And Dina's walking with Jesus to this day. She's actually married to a man of God. She's still following Christ. God is opening doors. But I believe sometimes we miss out on those open doors. Let's put this quote up. Sometimes our eyes are wide shut to doors that are wide open. And you know why I think our eyes often are wide shut? You know why? Because of that next, that little clause at the end of this passage. Paul mentions this. And there are many who oppose me because of discouragement and opposition. I want to tell you that with every opportunity comes opposition. Opportunity always comes with opposition. Be strong. That's it. Second place, church. I want you, number one, be present. Say, be present. Number two, be bold. Say, be bold. Finally, be strong. Be strong. To be bold and to be strong are two different things. It sounds redundant, but it's not. To be strong means to stand your ground. If someone tried to come and move me off this, this, this place right here, I'm being strong by standing my ground. To be bold is to take ground. And I want to encourage you. Don't be content with being strong and maintaining your Christianity. But be bold. Take ground. Let God use you to advance his kingdom. Open up your home. Invite somebody. Invite a college student. Come on. I'm an advocate for college students. Invite a college student in. They love free meals, by the way. That's like there's the gospel being preached, and then there are free meals. I'm serious. Like, free meals are up there with the gospel being preached when it comes to people coming to Jesus. I love you. Let's go. Let's be bold. Let's be present. God bless you. See what I'm talking about? You like this guy? I like this guy. More, more so than anything, I like his heart. You know, I love his heart. Um, we've been talking a little bit, and uh, I want to give you guys an opportunity. We don't do this very often. I'm going to be honest with you, brother. We don't do it very often. But we're going to throw a bucket at these people um, and just ask them to invest in the potential that they see in your ministry. And so... Um, Todd is going to, Todd Can's going to be ready. He's going to pass the bucket on one side. It's going to go all the way across. And Jim, Jim Oates, could I ask you just to help them get them back the other way? Um, that would be awesome. Um, and isn't it cool to see our baptismal? Like, you don't even know that thing just been around, right? It's just so awesome. Like, we don't even know what's going on with the things that God has blessed us with or is a blessing to, to those. I just feel like there's like a kindred spirit in, uh, in what you're doing there and with what we what our heart is here. And so um, I just want to give us a, a moment to be able to do that. You guys, I'm going to pray and you guys can pass that. Um, Heavenly Father, you've opened a door to us. 
not only Lord God in in uh, this warehouse, but in this community. I know that with Love Moni, uh, if they were to share every open door that that was open to us through that process, it would really blow our minds. And maybe we need to hear that, Lord. If we were to understand and to see with open eyes the doors that are open to us right now where we exist, Lord, just that that connection to last week and the way that we want to be on mission with our family and not add activities to our schedule, but to simply see the open door that is right in front of us. At school, at a soccer game, at a dance recital, at practice, at our work, whatever it might be, God, I pray that right now as we consider supporting and really investing in potential that we see the reaching college students, that's just really just a stone's throw away from us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would bless every gift and every giver, but more so, Lord God, I pray that you would continue to open the door for Chicago Chi Alpha, that you would bless this ministry and allow us to continue to be a part of it, um, Lord God, as you do amazing works. And Lord, we pray for more stories of, of those that are coming out of darkness and into light. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. And so, Jesus, we thank you so much. Jesus, then we pray. Amen. Amen.